Amen. Well, hello again, everybody. Um, I got time to tell you this. So, Marsha and I went to uh, on a date last night, and we uh, were went to a decent place, and we were watching this gentleman who dropped his doggy bag, and the steak fell on the ground, right flat on the carpet, and then he picked it up and took it home. Would you do that? <laughs> I just felt compelled to have to share that with you, my friends. That's been on my mind since however long ago that was, but really glad you guys are here today. Um, I have two kids and one on the way, if you didn't know, so we'll be, uh, we'll be packing out the minivan soon, so it's a good investment, even though it froze you into the car today. <laughs> but uh, one of my absolute favorite parts of life is when my kids run to me. Um, actually, Lincoln did it here this morning when he, I think, ran ahead of mom and wasn't supposed to. But this is him. Uh, we were in California a couple years ago, and I just, I wish those moments could freeze. It's just so beautiful when your your child comes running towards you. Um, like if I'm coming home from work and Marcia's got the kids that day or picking them up from school. It's like the best when they're happy to see you uh, and they come running towards you. It's even better when they both I have two kids, so when they both come running towards me, and I don't, I don't care how dirty the floor is, if it's the floor that that guy's steak fell on, there it is, it makes sense, or if it's anywhere else, I don't care how dirty it is, I'm going to let them just plow me over. I'm going to take that love uh, from my children. It's just one of the best parts of life. In contrast, it might be my least favorite part of life when my kids run away from me, um, this is Lincoln running away. Uh, if they don't want to go to bed, or if they think that we're playing a game and we're not, <laughs> or if they think they're in trouble or did something wrong, um, the worst is when my daughter, uh, Bridget, um, sometimes she'll, if she gets hurt or if she wakes up cranky and her little tears run down her face, and I have compassion to want to hug her, but uh, she'll keep repeating like, go away, no, go. I'm like, where did you hear that? Where? How are you so like sure of that? I try to comfort her and she just keeps on saying, no, go away. And there's nothing that aches more as a parent than when your kids, especially when they're young, just want to distance themselves from you when they, when they want you to just go away. This morning, we are in Genesis chapter 3, and if you're new today, or new to Wyoming Harbor, we've started a journey that we're taking through the, the very first uh, collection of stories, the very first book in the Bible called Genesis, and uh, we've covered the first couple chapters. Uh, the first chapter, we read of the uh, beautiful and poetic scene of God forming the cosmos, forming everything, and then... He would fill it uh, with life, especially this wonderful life that we have here on earth. And within the, the biblical description of creation, we, we read that when God came around to humankind on the, the sixth day, he, he had named everything was good before that. So he made all things good, but when he got to us, he, he named us very good. He made us in his image and his likeness. We're kind of the crown jewel of his creation he, he made us to share in his image and his likeness. All things were made good. All things were whole in the beginning. 
all things were at peace. And in Genesis chapter 2, it narrows in on the, from the grand uh, cosmos creation in, in chapter 1 to God creating a garden and filling it with his presence to walk with his children, Adam and Eve, those, those first humans, to share relationship with God and each other, to, to do and live into the way and form in which God created us to be. And it, like I said, things were good. Things were whole. Things were at peace. There was harmony in, in all of creation. And the whole of Scripture calls this shalom. There was just this shalom. This all things were as they were intended to be. And we, we took some time the last two weeks and even the week before that to really just want to like slow down on that fact before we got to today. Because things do change in the story today. But before that, all was well. God made things good at the beginning, including us, including human beings. Our identity begins with very goodness that God created us with. And the very last verse of chapter 2 says that Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. They had no reason to have fear. They had no reason to feel shame. God did not create them for fear or for shame. He made them to walk with him in a beautiful garden. But today, we're going to step into Genesis 3. And this is the scene where the chaos caused by human sin uh, is introduced into the picture. And it was the first case of God's kids running away hiding in shame, as if to say, no, go away. The first time when the arms of the father were wide open, only to see his children running the opposite direction. Let's pray, and then we'll walk through the story together. Lord, thank you for creating all things good. Thank you for giving us... um, the words you chose to give us in the form you chose to give them of this story that describes a beautiful beginning. And we celebrate that. And now as we take a look at where the story of humanity and even more so the story of your redemption of broken humanity began. So as always, I pray that you will speak um, through me. And even if it's something that's not written down, that you'll Let it come out of my mouth for the sake of my brothers and sisters here. Amen. So we'll have the text up on the screen. Uh, Otherwise, you can always use your phone if you've got a Bible app. Um, We've got some study Bibles there if you want. If you don't have a Bible at home, if you don't have a study Bible, uh, you can take that. It's our gift to you. I want you to be able to get into the Word yourself at home and learn what it says uh, for you and for us as a church. So... Quick disclaimer before I jump into the story. Um, It has a talking snake, so let's just call that out right now. Um, If it feels strange to you, it's because it kind of is. Um, I don't know how many talking snakes that you have met, but um, I've met none. Uh, I don't want you to be distracted in ways that you don't have to be uh, with the fact that that is a part of the story here too. So let me just say this, that the Bible could very well, uh, in, especially in these early stories, could very well be describing exactly how these opening scenes happened. It could have happened exactly the way it was described in the six literal days. It could have been. 
uh, God could have given his people, or God could have given his people a story that they could understand from ancient history. I'm open to either or. I'm, I'm actually quite okay with being surprised at how God formed the universe someday. Whether it's a short period of time, long period of time, real snake, figurative. Um, I know that's, that's scary to even hear it. But the point that we're going to try and narrow in on is not necessarily if all parts of this story are literal. Um, to the Jewish reading, the original audience, they would have focused far more on what the story says about God rather than if every fact within it are scientifically verifiable. So uh, I'm not saying it's not important to study that stuff, but the main thing is what I'm going to try and teach today. Uh, So I'm going to tell this story like a powerful piece of uh, poetic word of God that strongly intends to draw us towards true spiritual realities about both the goodness of God and the badness of the forces of evil, i.e. the devil. So... We're going to take a step back into the garden now, choosing to be comfortable with the idea that we have a talking snake used to describe the temptation and to describe the tempter who would later in Scripture be called the devil. So let's leave it there and see what God has to say to us today. There's so much that I want to reflect on. Um, I could say that about the last two weeks for sure. The more I learn about the Bible, the more I see there's so much jam-packed into these early chapters in this book. I'm going to just choose a couple, but I do encourage you to at least not think that I've told you everything, that there is, the richness of everything that there is in these opening chapters by the 20 minutes that I'll talk here today. So I really do encourage you to continue your study, ask questions, come to me, come to anybody else, and we'll reflect on what God is saying to us. So... Let's jump in. Disclaimer over. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, But God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. Aren't you glad that I didn't wear my fig leaf bathing suit to illustrate the first part of this sermon? Um, good. I'm glad that we're on the same page. Thank you. <laughs> you guys, I set you up for that. 
the story takes a, a tender turn here. So, the kids, the first two kids, Adam and Eve, uh, realize that they're in trouble. That they've messed up and dad is coming for a visit. Before this day, dad would show up and they would go running to him. They couldn't wait for him to show up in the cool of the day, which was the best time to go for a walk. They were always so excited for that part of the day because God was there walking with them. That's exactly how every day went. But this day, when dad showed up for their wonderful daily connection, the kids, they didn't come running. And this day when dad got there, the the garden was quiet. Instead, the kids ran away to hide. And that wasn't right because the garden was created for celebration. It was created for love. It was created for this relationship in harmony with God on all of creation. And yet, on this day, something changed. On this day, the greeting between God and his human children changed. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, and he said, Where are you? Such a deep question. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now some of you are going to elbow each other like, See, he's blaming her. He was. (laughs) Then the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. We could spend a lifetime dissecting these verses, but the things that I think are the most powerful thing for us to look at here are those two questions. Two of the deepest questions in all of the entire Bible. God steps onto the scene to take his walk with his kids, and his kids ran away. They were hiding, and he, he asked the question, Where are you? And who told you you were naked? You know when your parents tell you, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed? (laughs) It's almost like the sadness feels worse than the guilt. You can feel God's sadness with those questions. I created you very good. We were going to take our daily walk, but now you're hiding from me. Where are you? And who told you? God knew where they were. Just like I would know where my children are. And he knew who told them they were naked. But we're supposed to see something deeper behind those questions that will continue to unfold in the story. That this choice... 
this thing called sin that entered into this innocent scene caused a distance between God and his children. They chose to run away and hide, and God says, where are you? The second question reveals something else, that they chose to listen to another voice instead of God's voice. Who told you? I find it so interesting that God didn't just end Adam and Eve's lives like he said would happen. He gave them warning. If you eat from this tree, you certainly will die. Instead of seeing that happen in these, this scene of them choosing this fruit, choosing this other voice over God's, what happens? He asks them those questions. He demonstrated patience right from the start. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all of your days, the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now God placed consequences on the actions, and I do believe that we are in the chaotic state in our world because of the consequences of Sin. Some parts of it, though, in their, in their case, were immediate, and some parts of it were delayed. They didn't die right away. Matter of fact, the rest of the story, as we'll find in a couple of chapters, says they lived very, very long lives. But they had to leave the garden. They had to leave the place, their favorite place, where they would take a walk with their dad. They couldn't walk with... God in the garden anymore in the cool of the day. Their relationship was severed. But they didn't actually die. No, because God seemed to be patient for some reason. He also didn't mock them for their pathetic fig tree clothing. Instead, what did God do? He made them better clothes. 
He made them more sustainable clothes to wear, even though they were hiding in shame, which is something that that he didn't create them for. He actually sacrificed the first animal to cover their private areas. He gave them dignity even immediately after they wrecked everything. And before they even apologized. They were just kids making excuses. Yet God is still so tender. It's a story full of surprises. We're talking about death entering into the picture of humanity, and yet God is still walking so tenderly with his kids. And he finishes the scene with these words. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So there's some form of grace here that God is giving to not let us live forever in the state of fallen sinfulness to which we live. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. An important takeaway from this story that describes the opening scenes of life. An important thing for us to carry forward is certainly that human beings broke things. We're not supposed to miss that in this story. That, that is important. Humanity played and continues to play a key role in listening to the voice of the deceiver instead of God's voice. And all throughout the rest of Genesis, we're going to see that. We're going to see God choosing people, God speaking to people, and them listening for a minute, but then steering back to the sinful nature, steering back to the voice of the deceiver. We'll read a winding story about God inviting people back to himself and his people choosing to run away. Don't we choose to run and hide just like Adam and Eve? You might be sitting here today asking What went wrong in my life? You might feel like you're hiding from God, saying, my life is not what I thought it would be. Sin in all the variety of its forms caused some break in our walk with God. But the whole Bible, from this chapter all the way to the very end, is a story of God unfolding his grace. And it culminates in the person of Jesus on a different tree to bring us back to that place so we don't have to run from God anymore. We can run to God. I want to give you a glimpse of the very end of the biblical story that's described in the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible, Revelation Uh, 22, verse 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me a river 
of the water of life as clear as, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, down the middle of the great streets of that city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. It appears again here at the end. There's a return to the garden, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not be a need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for God The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. My friends, Jesus made a way for us to run back to the garden. We don't have to hide in shame or fear anymore because of the name of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is God's way of opening the garden back up to us. So whatever shame that you find yourself hiding in today... Whatever guilt you find yourself living in today, you don't have to live in that anymore. We have a promise. The gates of the garden are going to be kicked back open. And Jesus is inviting you back in. Does anyone want to start running back to God right now? Do you, in faith, ahead of time, want to start running towards the arms of our loving God? Do you want to imagine together that God is actually going to make all things new? He's going to bring us back to the beginning, to that shalom, the place that he started it all. That's what the whole story of the Bible is about. Restoration, bringing us back to that original, very goodness. To that shalom in the chaos, in the brokenness of this world. Let's be a church that works to bring the world back to the garden. That is the work that God invites us to participate in. That's why the things that we're able to do that are even outside of this room are so important. What's one way that we can point people towards the garden? Let's feed hungry kids on the weekend. Yeah, let's do that. What's another way we can do it? Let's open up a gym for kids to come uh, to after school so that they can have hope and be scripted for a better future. Let's open up our homes to each other, to the stranger, that we, against all of the Signs that point towards death in the face of it can look towards the future to say God is going to make all things new. He's going to return us to something like a garden. We can bring life back to a world that's on its way towards death in the powerful name of Jesus. So even though this chapter in the story brought great tragedy great brokenness, great sadness. And we can trace back all the yuck that we see in the world back to this. It's still within that that God provided better clothes for his kids. It's still within that he asked those questions. Where are you? And who told you? Can you let that question penetrate your heart today? If you've wandered away from God, he's asking you, where are you, my child? Where are you right now? And if you believe lies about yourself, he's also saying, who told you that that's what your identity is? 
Who told you that your depression defines you? Who told you that your anxiety defines you? Who told you that all of those things that weigh and crush us down, who told you? It's not God. His invitation is to come back. So run. Run back with confidence because God's arms are wide open to you. Let's pray. Thank you for the name of Jesus. The pinnacle of this story. The one to whom we can look to for our confidence that we can approach our loving Father through Christ with confidence knowing that our sins are forgiven. That your love for us is great and that you are writing a story of victory over darkness, of victory over death. And we get to look to that, Lord. That it's going to be like returning to a garden. I think it actually will be. That we get to be in relationship with you again, walking in the cool of the day. And that you will remind us exactly who we are. I pray, Lord, for my friends who have listened to this word today that if they have been allowing themselves to be defined by a word that was never spoken by you that they today would tune their ear into the good father that they would turn their face back to you that they would see the smile on your face and the arms open wide ready to receive them back into your arms that's who you are Jesus That's who you are, God. That's what we rely on today. In Jesus' name, amen.